0: I would not be running for president if I didn't believe with all my heart that this is what the vast majority of Americans want for this country. This union may never be perfect, but generation after generation has shown that it can always be perfected. And today, whenever I find myself feeling doubtful or cynical about this possibility, what gives me the most hope is the next generation. The young people whose attitudes and beliefs and openness to change have already made history in this election welcome to 10 minutes on democracy that moment of democracy inspiration was taken from then senator obama's speech a more perfect union before an audience at the national constitution center in philadelphia addressing the subjects of racial inequality and white privilege in the U.S. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, November 16th. Moving from 2008 to today, let's talk about actually a success in Washington, as well as the slow shifting of the U.S. presence globally under a Biden administration and the continued rightward anti-democratic tilt of Republican leadership we saw many signs of this week. First up, a success. It's great to get to celebrate something. President Biden signed the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill yesterday, celebrating the passage of the largest transportation funding package in U.S. history. So as we know, this was proposed by a bipartisan group of 21 senators. The plan includes $550 billion in new appropriations. The remainder is largely covered by reallocating existing funds. Some of those top lines, as I talked about last week, includes $110 billion for road and bridges, $66 billion for passenger rail, $65 billion for power, infrastructure, and broadband connections, $25 billion to upgrade airports, and $17 billion to upgrade and protect our waterways. The bipartisan signing ceremony marks a pivot from passing to implementing this bill. Biden appointed former New Orleans Mayor Mitch Landrieu to oversee the passage of this bill, and it's going to be now a big political fight to see how quickly we can get this put into practice, who will benefit, and how much will the American public see the results of this bill. You're already seeing plans from the Department of Transportation to move money out to states as early as next month there'll be a big push to sell this package and to lift up the investments to be really on the radar of the American public. And yet, even as there was bipartisan celebration, you also saw Trump loyalists like Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene attacking the bill as Biden's communist takeover of America. Of course, divorcing their attacks from any connection to what communism actually is. And they called Republicans who supported this a traitor to the party, traitors to their voters and traitors to their donors. Possible to celebrate even for a moment, passing something in a bipartisan way. Globally, what we're looking at is the U.S. reasserting itself in diplomacy after the Trump administration, but it's been really slow and haphazard progress. So after Biden appointed John Kerry as a special presidential envoy for climate, U.S. leadership at COP26 was viewed really with a mixed light. And as we finish up at COP, the U.N. conference was ultimately seen as leading to lackluster results. On Saturday, 200 countries did reach a climate deal. But in the 11th hour, India and China weakened provisions on fossil fuels, leading to an agreement to phase down rather than phase out coal, the largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. They also promised to give poorer countries $100 billion to fight climate change and to meet again at the end of next year with a bigger promise to cut emissions. But pushing out even farther that needed commitment to cut greenhouse gas emissions by at least 50% by 2030 left advocates frustrated, to say the least, and our planet a continued risk. Another sign of that steady but very slow global progress is the three-and-a-half-hour virtual summit last night between the U.S. and Chinese presidents, which didn't produce any deliverables, but is being spun as bolstering the stability between the countries. As Biden says, they're working on guardrails between American and Chinese interactions, and the Chinese media talking about how the two great countries of US and China didn't need to sail into one another. So hopeful in terms of stability, frustrating in terms of less progress. But that's what you get when you're kind of coming back from a real attack on diplomatic relationships under a Trump administration. Coming back to developments impacting our democracy here at home, um, after weeks of ignoring a congressional subpoena, Steve Bannon turned himself into the FBI yesterday. On charges of criminal contempt of congress after he refused to cooperate with the house select committee investigating the attacks on the capitol of course prior to turning himself in he found time to do a radio show where he told his supporters not to take their eye off the ball and that they would take down the biden regime not really a regime but that's the language we're now facing and how we have to grapple with it also on friday former chief of staff mark meadows refused to testify before the house committee also ignoring his subpoena His lawyers said that Trump had told him not to testify on grounds of executive privilege, but there's no indication yet that Trump has made that claim formally over Meadows' testimony. And it's not just saying don't testify. You have to formally submit a claim certifying that it is covered under executive privilege. Except most lawyers say that that would be denied, as the courts have largely denied Trump's claims to stop the National Archives from turning over materials as well. This does mark an elevation though, for sure, as a former advisor is very different than the man who was serving as chief of staff during the insurrection. The other big January 6th news this week was the taped interview of Trump with Jonathan Karl of ABC News, where he defended pretty extensively supporters who threatened to hang former Vice President Mike Pence. And really, it's unprecedented, if unsurprising, of this president to hear a former president openly say it was okay to threaten the life of his vice president. Another sign of how little respect for human decency, let alone democracy, Trump is showing for those who are not on his side at every moment. But the last piece on this front, the Republican Party seems to just keep doubling down on support for the former president over anything else. For example, yesterday, the Central Committee of the Wyoming Republican Party voted 3129 that it would no longer recognize Representative Liz Cheney as a member because of her stand against Trump for his role in the January 6th insurrection. In a further sign of the threat to our democracy from the far right, the New York Times broke a story about how Donald Trump Jr. and other Trump allies are assisting the Bolsonaro government in Brazil to destabilize and undermine faith in elections in an effort to bolster a nationalistic, conservative, global ally. And on Sunday, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn spoke at the Reawaken America conference in San Antonio, Texas, which has been actively fanning disinformation about the 2020 elections, describing the coronavirus vaccines as an infringement on liberty, and boosting a Trump 2024 candidacy. Beyond those steps, Flynn on Sunday took a further step, telling the audience, quote, if we're going to have one nation under God, which we must, we have to have one religion one nation under God, and one religion under God. Now, of course, this flies in the face of the First Amendment of the Constitution, and it's really just challenging to figure out how to engage and push back on these types of threats to democracy in so many different ways, local, national, and global. Frankly, it's hard to share and track these developments uh, with all of you without sounding like an alarmist or a doomsayer, but I really think these are the signs that we have to watch for and mobilize against if we are to protect our democracy. Things we have to be paying attention to as we look forward. So those are some of the highlights and as we review the developments this week in our democracy, we'll continue to watch the rollout of the infrastructure bill. We'll look at the fate of the other budget and spending package and the voting rights bills in Congress. They're expecting to have a big vote on the budget and spending package this week based on the agreements they had to pass the infrastructure bill and of course other political and democracy reform developments in these final few weeks of the year. We'll be off next week for the Thanksgiving holidays, so until next time, I'm Jason Franklin, and thanks for listening to 10 Minutes on Democracy.